when we look at love as a spiritual discipline, we see that the true love only can manifest when a person is able to actually accept even the weaknesses and the challenges of other person. And that is very hard to find. And when we cannot really accept other person fully or as best as we can, unfortunately, what happens is that there's a lot of harshness that manifests in relationships. Welcome to A Way of Thinking. I'm your host, Jessica Wong. This podcast is dedicated to lighting the way towards greater inner peace and purpose. My own journey has taken me from a decade-long corporate finance career to following my own path as a purpose coach. I help people move from an unfulfilling career to a meaningful and purpose-driven career and life. Now let's dive into today's show. Hello and welcome to this episode of A Way of Thinking. I'm your host, Jessica Huang. And this episode, we have a very special repeat guest for the first time ever. So today's guest in this episode is Prem Sadashivananda, who is a very dear friend to me. And I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode. If you haven't already, definitely check out the first episode that I did with Prem, which is episode number 21 where we cover off on his book, Empower Your Life. And so today I decided to take a different shift and totally different conversation from the first episode. And I thought it would be nice to talk about relationships with Prem. And Prem is such a wealth of information. And I think that this was such a great topic and very pertinent at the moment because we're heading into the holidays and everything. And so I think that this episode is super special and we touch upon some great topics that I think are definitely great for this time of year. You know, this episode actually was a continuation from the end of the last episode where I asked Prem what his number one skill they thought everyone should work on and he answered tenderness. And so this episode starts with us talking about tenderness and actually looking at it from the perspective of tenderness towards ourselves first and then towards others. We also talk about compatibility, like what we are looking for in a partner. And we talk about conflicts and relationships. And we end talking about loneliness. How do we handle when we are feeling lonely and that disconnection from our relationships and ultimately that disconnection from ourselves? And so I hope you enjoy this episode. I think it's super sweet and super special. And Hopefully you can take some of the wisdom as we head into the holiday season. And so before we get started, I want to make a few quick announcements. So first off, I want to make a quick shout out to our listener, Michael Tintevsky, for donating to the podcast. And if you would like a shout out and to donate to the podcast, you can do so at my website, jessicahuangcoaching.com slash donate. Okay, so I am incredibly grateful for all of you who are tuning in, and I love being able to share all this incredible wisdom with you. So if you would like to support all the work that goes into creating a way of thinking, it would mean the world to me for you to donate to the podcast, and thank you again so much for listening. Next up is that if you would like any help with creating your own dreams and really moving yourself forward into a creative career, then please uh, sign up for a free discovery call with me at my website, 
jessicahuangcoaching.com. My purpose is really helping people discover and move out of the careers that they had chosen when they were teenagers and trying to fulfill their parents' wishes and being able to move into something that might be more creative, might be more purpose-driven, passion-driven, and more aligned with who they want to be as they move into the next chapter of their lives. So if that sounds like something of interest to you, please go to my website for more information and to sign up for a call with me. And last but not least is if you want to practice with me you can do so on Sundays. I teach a variety of practices, psychic development, which is a pranayama practice. There is yoga nidra, which I think everyone could use a little yoga nidra in their life. You know, yoga nidra is an incredible practice where you are lying down and relaxing your entire body so that you're allowing yourself to self-heal. It is really a very special practice and you know, especially at this time of year, as we are needing to kind of slow down a little, you know, as the weather gets a little colder, I think yoga nidra is a very important practice. I also teach that on Sunday mornings. And there is, of course, charging practice if you need a boost of energy also during this time. I welcome you to charging practice, which is a Dharma yoga asana practice. So it's Hatha yoga. And I would love to see you in class. I teach in person at Dharma Yoga Center and online on Zoom. So if that is of interest to you, please reach out to me on my Instagram or on my website. My Instagram is Jessica Huang Coaching. And my website is jessicahuangcoaching.com. So I hope to connect with all of you. And thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of A Way of Thinking. And I hope that some of the wisdom impacts you today. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Prem Sadashivananda. Our guest today is Prem Sadashivananda. Prem is a direct and long-term disciple of Swami Vishnu Devananda, the disciple of Swami Shivananda. He served as a sannyasi for over 24 years in the Shivananda organization and was the director of the Shivananda centers in New York City and London. Prem is a scholar of Vedanta philosophy, Hindu scripture, and Sanskrit, and holds an MA in Sanskrit. He is a trained musician holding uplifting satsangs and kirtans. He has taught hundreds of yoga teacher training courses through the Shivananda organization and continues to share his wealth of knowledge through his many courses on the yoga scriptures, Bhagavad Gita and Yoga Sutras, meditation, positive thinking, anger management, and relationships. He is the author of Empower Your Life and Open Your Heart to Love, and he is based in New York City. So Prem is actually our first two-time guest on the show. So welcome once again, Prem Sadashivananda. Thank you, Jessica, very much. It's my pleasure to be on, on this wonderful podcast, The Way of Thinking. I'm actually impressed by all the wonderful guests you have and the ideas that are being served and shared with others. So, yes, this is me. I will start with a short prayer and then we can uh, continue. Om, 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 Om,
ओम ऐं सरस्वत्याय नमः ओम सहनावत सहनाव भुनक्त सह वीरकवाहै तेजस्वीनाभीतमस्तुमाषावहै ओम शांति 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 ओम पीस 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 ओम हेलो गुड इवनिंग Thank you so much Prem. It is such an honor and pleasure to have you back on the show and you know it's we were just saying how funny life is that we happen to live in the same building together. Mm-hmm. So it happens to be extremely rainy out today and thankfully you did not need an umbrella to come to this podcast recording because you merely had to walk downstairs. <laughs> thank thank God. <laughs> mm. So that worked out quite well. But yes, it is such a pleasure to have you back on the show. And today we were thinking to kind of switch it up. You know, last time the episode was very focused on your book Empower Your Life, which if anyone has not checked out that episode, please go back and take a listen to that episode. It is filled with so much incredible wisdom. And Today we were talking about having our focus a little bit different today. So, we are focusing this episode now on relationships because we were talking about the idea that, you know, many of the things oftentimes like the biggest things that are really kind of like the trials and tribulations I feel like of our lives are either around the relationships that we have in our lives or the things that we do with our lives right and so i feel like the last episode was focused on the doing right like how do we empower our lives how do we you know channel the power of our thoughts to manifest the life that we want and all those kind of great ideas and so today instead we're focused on the relationships that we have and the trials and tribulations around that so The way that I was thinking we could get started is actually kind of perfectly leading off of the end of our last episode. So in the last episode, the very final question I asked Prem is what is the number one thing that you would have everyone work on? And Prem's answer was having more tenderness. And I that really struck me, right? Like I love that word tenderness. Like how do we really bring more loving tenderness into our relationships. So that is where I thought we could begin today. So Prem, I would love your thoughts on developing more tenderness in our lives. Wonderful. As you all know, our life is nothing but really numerous relationships that we have. In our scriptures, we divide the relationships into three. One is the relationship with oneself. relationship with others and we can also say a relationship with nature or you know the creator whichever way you want to put it all these three relationships requires some training and education and work so it is not uncommon to see the people you know enter into this stream of life and do not really know how to uh, look at something outside of them in a kind of respectful and deep way perhaps to some degree we can also blame our you know the speed of our modern life and even the very technology we're using here is kind of separated us a little bit from one another lots of families are struggling 
So I think the subject of relationship is a, a perfect uh, subject that leads us into the Thanksgiving dinner and is leading us into the Christmas and holidays, parties and everything. So it is a very delicate question, not necessarily only in the world, but also equally in spiritual organizations. And we find that, you know, we can have a relatively successful practice, but our relationship still may uh, suffer. And very much so because the relationships that we have with others are simply they, they mirror our own relationship with ourselves to a great degree. So if a person, for example, lives with some traumas, you know, either from the childhood or later in their life, he or she may unconsciously project these traumas into the relationship and is, in fact, as a way of bonding, which is very may sound very mm. strange. So tenderness is my favorite word. I have another word that I love very much, and Swami Shivananda mentions it's mercy. I think that tenderness is an aspect of a personality that is very rarely practiced by anybody or most people never even use that word. You know, it's a very kind of old-fashioned, I guess. Mm -hmm. But we do have moments of tenderness many, many times in our lives. If we are, you know, if we are around animals, especially, or elderly people, or babies, you know, of children in general, we find that we naturally become tender because we are aware of the, somehow of the vulnerability of the lives that, you know, the individuals kind of manifest. And also the tenderness connects us to something deeper within ourselves, right? So tenderness is like a manifest or some form of love, really. It's giving love in a way that is unconditional. It's a pretty much pure way of connecting with somebody. And I believe that in, you know, traditions or cultures where people tend to live simpler and they're more community-based, we may find more tenderness. And because in such a society, for example, you hear lots of, children's voices and everything is happening the multi-generational and i think when we start to kind of uh, isolate ourselves not necessarily that we really want to but just by the very nature of life we tend to lose that tenderness also something as as a quality something that essentially we must first find it within ourselves towards ourselves so among the three relationships, really the crucial relationship is how one sees oneself and how one, whether one has a capacity to accept oneself or not. Because where we look for tenderness, we look for some expression of love, which is larger and it's a greater container than just what people may call love between the two people. And this is not a love necessarily that we... You don't need to be in a relationship to be in love. You can be in love with anything and any anybody in this world without any kind of strings attached to it. And I feel like, you know, the tenderness is just a lovely way to express one's love for neighbors, for community, people, for everybody. And plus, it's also where when we look at love as a, as a spiritual discipline, we see that the true love only can manifest when a person is able to actually accept even the weaknesses and the challenges of other person 
and that is very hard to find. And when we cannot really accept other person um, fully or as best as we can, unfortunately, what happens is that there's a lot of harshness that manifests in relationships. And this is why I believe if we were to solve the, some problems on the individual level, we may have to examine the importance of tenderness in all these three relationships, you know? There's something beautiful also when we're tender with ourselves and then we're tender with other people and we even when we're tender with God, right? In, in the beautiful feeling of devotion, you're kind of, there's a tenderness. And, uh, you know, Devika was sharing with me this Padre Pius, you know, I don't know if you know about him, he's a great saint of India. And she was sharing a book that he wrote and his letters. And I remember seeing some of his letters and some of the saints that they wrote around that same time, maybe even 50, 50 years or 100 years ago, there was such a tendency in their letters. Mm -hmm. They were almost like an excuse for whatever they wanted to express, hoping that there would be not even a tinge of any kind of upset that could cause by what they said. Like I said, oh my God, this is like my... This is this would be my now at this age I have to say maybe not before but now I would love to practice that all the time. And you know tenderness first requires that we look at ourselves also with more openness. And we have to understand that we live in a in a less than a perfect, you know, life and there's the whole concept of perfection which has stressed so many people out. I think should be really a little bit put aside and instead of using perfection we can use like an ideal that you want to work towards and move towards and i think tenderness is a way a great way to move towards a very pure and unconditional way of uh, relating to everybody but we need to start with ourselves so as a little homework we could all try to think of some moments when we really got upset with ourselves and how hard maybe we were on ourselves. We may be hard on ourselves without knowing that we are hard on ourselves. For example, we may be hard on ourselves by not letting ourselves rest, eat on time, or, you know, be a workaholic, which is a typical thing. Always, I, I'm not against striving, but always striving without giving a rest to oneself is like, oh, it's like that could be a, a form of tenderness maybe that you would just say, listen, it's okay, you know, you can slow down a little bit today, you can mm -hmm. start tomorrow with rejuvenated strength. And the tenderness when we're dealing with our own feelings, and when we're dealing with our emotions and, and thoughts, we must learn to meditate with tenderness. This is one of the principles of Titnat Stan's teachings, where you start your practice in an open, open kind of a state of mind, and you create a little smile, and you say, okay, this is what I'm dealing with. This is the mind, not many more my mind, but this is the mind that has been, it's like a child has been conditioned in a certain way. And there will be emotions and thoughts that I really do not necessarily align with in my normal and, you know, daily life when I'm using my intellect, but still these are parts of my beings. There may be some memories. There may be some injuries that you received in your past from other people, from you know, bringing education, anybody, and just approach it in a softer manner. I think that's the first thing. Then 
as we work on ourselves, we will find that we'll naturally already become more tender with others. So, you know, the tenderness requires that you have a certain inner inner kind of a uh, discipline and inner life because I don't think it's possible for just anybody all of a sudden to become softer. They would not see the reason for it. So the tenderness is the result of a, a great self-observation and greater ability to self-reflect because we, if we have that, then we have like a key to enter into somebody's heart, to our being, and, and we are able to understand what these people may be going through. And even if we do not understand what they're going through, we can understand that they suffer. And then that suffering should be already, you know, enough for us to feel tenderness. But the most important thing is that the tenderness should be expressed. So when I look at sometimes, you know, cultures, even in India, even in Japan, or, you know, some, perhaps some other countries, when you sit around to eat, you know, there's wonderful dinner or something. But the way that they put the food down for you, there's such a tenderness in it. They're not like, you know, throwing a plate to you like here in a kind of a, some kind of a New York restaurant and, you know, you just have to make sure you're doing a splash by it. I mean, it's, 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 there is a respect. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what it leads us to. Tenderness leads us to recognizing the something special and and about that person, even though you may not like them, there may be another question of people who say, but what if you don't like somebody? How am I going to be tender to that person? I would say in that case, the tenderness may take some little different form, not necessarily be the sweetest of the sweetest, but it would be something that when we practice will benefit us, will give us some peace. And when the people see that we're not aggressive with them, then they will naturally start to kind of loosen up to some degree, not, of course, in all cases. So the respect is kind of a thing that I feel like it's a, it's a lacking in relationships. Uh, people tend to take each other for granted, you know. They've forgotten what it looked like when they just met, you know, when they had mm -hmm. that actually tenderness. Maybe it was fake, but it was at least there because they really liked somebody. They were fascinated by somebody's qualities. So I feel like, you know, they, once you, once the person is in your possession, right, then you're like, okay, forget about tenderness, no more flowers, no nothing, just, you know, be, be kind of tell them right into the face, whatever the truth you think, you know, you know. and I think this is, this is a big mistake. For one, for the relationship to be successful, we can talk here about like a loving relationship between two people. One has to project above the image of the physical because in the physical and attraction of the physical, there cannot be ever happiness. You know, it will be for a little while and then once that kind of wears out, it's done. So we need to look for something beyond that. And it really what really links us to other person is something that escapes most people's even imagination. That is the divine that is in that person that finds the reflection of the divine within us. Mm. This is what the scriptures tell us, the Upanishads tell us, you know, when you love somebody, you love yourself in that person. Now, you don't love yourself necessarily with all your weaknesses and strengths, but you love, you love your essence, like that's kind of what's the dearest to you. 
uh, and you recognize that in a sort of a mystical way in another person. You don't find it in everybody. For that, you need to be a sage, at least. But, you know, when you become a sage, you see that same essence in everyone. But for us, we cannot do this right away. So we start by recognizing it first within us and then creating a projected image that takes us beyond just the name and the form of the person. And then we really realize that this is like a God's being here. Whether I existed or not, this person actually carries some light or something like that. And then in regards to that is to remember that, you know, in every relationship, and it doesn't need to be just uh, in a love relationship, but in every relationship that we have, when we meet something new, we're very kind of attentive. We see everything about that person. We remember everything. We look forward to seeing them again. But then when you know somebody for for a long time, he almost like wears out and the capacity to see the new, new something every day, which is what love does, is lost. When a person is truly in an experience of love, every, the day, every day discovers something new about the person. Every day. It could be the smallest something. And there's an excitement to the people. That's how, you know, people tend to, you know, to be motivated by love. There's like an excitement because love is really also about learning and knowing somebody or something. And we see this with animals, how masterly they do that. You know, for an animal, you're never an old person. They never walk <laughs> past you and they say, oh, it's just same old, my boss, you know, it's like this and like that. They're always, because of the nature of the needing to be present in every moment, they're always seeing something that is unique to that moment and that day. And that's exactly kind of a practice that one has to have in relationships. And from there comes tender, tenderness flows quite easily. Well, mm -hmm. basically, that's an introduction to tenderness. <laughs> 20 minutes. I, I love it. I was like, there's so much that we need to talk about. and But I didn't want to interrupt you because it was very incredible to listen to you talk about it. I love what you were sharing there, though, because tenderness is not a word that I think we think of much. But there is something to be said for it. And I love the way you're you're describing how we have this natural tenderness towards animals or children or the elderly. Like there's something there that we naturally will exert this kind of tenderness towards them. But then it gets lost in the shuffle when it comes to anyone else. And it was so funny because, you know, as as someone that thinks a lot about self-love personally, I've never thought about the word tenderness towards myself. So that really struck me when you were saying that. I was like, huh, like what a light bulb to me. Like, how can I apply tenderness to me? And it's so funny because, you know, I, I think that there is this general schematic, right? That we can often show love towards others in a way that it is very hard to show it to ourselves. But then on the flip side of that, it needs to, in a way, start with ourselves for that pure essence of it to be able to show to other people. Hmm. So there's this funny dichotomy, right? Like the inability to show it to ourselves, but the deep need for that to have like real love come through towards others. Would you agree with that? Yes, totally. When we are 
kind of more tended with other or made more gentle or more accepting, it is usually because we're accepting something that is generally also a reflection of something reflect that we feel within mm-hmm. ourselves. For example, let's say if I have accepted that one can have the past that may not be necessarily beautiful, there may be lots of traumatic experiences, problems, then I'm kind of able to accept this in other people. Where the non-acceptance comes when we see somebody that is, let's say, angry or aggressive or, you know, any of these kind of qualities that we would, we would then think, how dare he looks that way? How can he do this? And that is because that part of ourselves has never been accepted by us. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, in fact, it's not possible to accept anybody you know, any aspect of, of somebody's life or behavior unless you exactly embrace it in yourself. And that when you say embrace it, it doesn't mean you condone it in a sense that you want to perpetuate it. Mm-hmm. You see the right, you know, the the right and the kind of a wrong of it, but maybe the wrong is not even necessary there. You just want to move on. So similarly, the moment we make these adjustments, we start to see the people in a very different way. It's like almost automatic. And I think tenderness is rooted in what now modern people will call it mindfulness, right? I will call it awareness. I think as a very big part of it is that we need to learn to slow down because that's what the tenderness does. Like if you want to be tenderly presenting a meal to somebody, like because you really respect them, you're so happy to have them at home, you cannot rush it. It's just that the rashness and tenderness really don't go together. So I believe that our way of living, unfortunately, is so fast that when you're on a keyboard, you're banging it, you know, and it's like we're, we're almost machines. We're attacking them because they're attacking us. So then we are, you know, you, we're cooking or banging things in the kitchens, like because we're in speed and we're actually stressed. Yeah. And so stress and tenderness are two opposite things. So if you want to be tender, you're kind of, you have to take a deep breath and relax a little bit and then maybe do it. A good exercise would be to, for example, two exercises. One is to try to start your day in a tender way. Oof, sounds like a song. So uh, tender day, day in a way. So you try to, <laughs> let's say, when you wake up in the morning, try to take that little morning as slow as possible because morning is slow, the energy is slower, you know. We're not meant to race out of the beds and jump and go to work. So even becoming aware that you've just woken up, maybe give a little appreciation to the Lord, say, thank you, Lord, for giving me one more day. It doesn't matter what day you give me, just give me the day. And then at the end of the day, I may say, thank you, Lord, for this day to have come to an end. Also, sometimes we have this kind of prayer too. But start like that gently, then you step away from, you know, on the floor, you go to the bathroom, everything you do, you handle gently. So Swami Shivananda was very known for that. He says, you have to put as much of a, like an energy of tenderness, literally, into like putting your pen together like this, as you would be like talking to like a king or somebody. We don't have them here, but let's say something like that. 
Sure. So I think that's the way to do. You start your day and you try to stretch it. Like for let's say, first you do like several minutes, then try to do like maybe twenty minutes, and then you, maybe you meditate. So you continue. Try to meditate with tenderness. You will see your quality of meditation will be very different. Because when you meditate with an idea, I got to finish by whatever minutes, then you're already tense, right? And same thing when you do your yoga. It's a wonderful way to just understand how your body works. And we know that our body is never the same in two consecutive days. And if we do that, we may find that we don't necessarily hurt ourselves often. Another exercise could be to pick maybe three things that you do daily. Like that's a common kind of a activity. One is speaking. Uh, one is walking. One is something else. And you try to do them in as soft way as possible. So softness, tenderness, awareness, mindfulness, all, all interconnected. And then it's really what happens is that those aspects of these practices or those components are all components of love. And love means being able to listen Love means to be present, to be tender and everything. I know, you know, we may sound a little bit like some kind of idealist here, but honestly, the world can dramatically change if you just add a little element of it. That's why I say, you know, you go shopping, you're tender with the with person, with teller, right? You, you just, you know, how are you? How is it? That? Maybe they will not answer. Maybe they're not interested in you, but something you will touch in them. Somebody cares, you know? Mm. And I think tenderness is, is really about respect and caring for others. It's a big subject. I love that. I think it's important to remember that we can do that in small doses mm -hmm. and that, you know, it's like, yes, you and I have like extensive practices, but I always like to remind people, like, even if you set aside that five minutes for yourself to be slow and to you know, take that time for yourself, like that is meaningful. And that will naturally maybe expand over time because you will find the benefits of it and be like, oh, I want more of this. I think that kind of is a natural thing. But I feel like it's reminding ourselves that we can, we all need to start somewhere. And even when it's like in little bits, right. And to your point, like, I love the idea of what you're saying there around, like putting three activities through your day that are focused on being slow and being tender and and caring towards ourselves. Like, I think that's really powerful. Very good, yeah. It's like learning, even though you're tender, right, but you're learning to take that s sense of self-importance out of it. So whatever you're tender to, it's, that's really what, what's important. Not that you're not important, but it's just that's the only way to really show the genuine ten the tenderness is to understand at this point, I don't need to control the outcome of this situation. I don't need to try to control the outcome of what this person, what they're going to say, how they're going to react, but I'm coming in with the pure intention and pure energy of tenderness. And if that's what they like, it's okay. If they just not, don't like it, it's also okay. So I'm finding it that with the practice of that, you tend to less kind of impose your ways of thinking on others and people start to feel more comfortable with you because nobody really likes to be changed and nobody likes honestly mm -hmm. 
even when people ask for advice, I remember this, they come and say, what can you tell me what you will do in this situation? I said, I'll tell you what I will do, but I know you're going to do something you're going to do. It's like, it's, it's your life. Yeah. And I think it's okay. That's kind of, we have right to own our own attitudes in situations. But the, the, the higher uh, level of practice would be to practice with somebody who may not be kind back to you. Mm-hmm. So perhaps you start with those that can easily be the recipients of tenderness, you know, children and animals and everything. And then you can move up a little bit higher, you know, be well rooted in the, all this tender kind of things. And then you can move up and, you know, try to be tender towards tigers in human forms or something like that. But again, the first uh, kind of a idea that I tend to see this is to try to accord the respect in relationships. And I find that that in itself, like, sets the tone for tenderness, mm. you know. But I, I really watch people who have that little bit refinement. I think that's a very huge spiritual quality. And that's why we do find them in places like India, in East. And as I said, in Japan, I mean, you find also the tenderness everywhere. Like you find them in Latin America, wherever people are like so happy to serve you or something. And even just to see you. I think this is um, something that will probably revolutionize the whole America if they could just think, you know, if the people could just think, okay, well, there's, I should accord respect to this person. If they cannot really do it, and if it's like, they are non-doable situations sometimes, that's mm-hmm. okay. But that, that's not the reason to give up the practice. Sure. And sure. as you said, five minutes b- to begin is very good practice. Absolutely. It's so funny because as we were talking about this and like the ability to have those kind of connection points, for some odd reason, what was coming up to my brain was going to Trader Joe's <laughs> because it like I, people have very mixed feelings about this, about how friendly the cashiers are. But I feel like there is something to be said for that because there is this kind of like, it's strange, but I actually would say there's a level of tenderness I feel around like the care of the person I'm talking to as a, at the cashier. I don't know if you would agree with that. You know, I, I like to go to Whole Foods. Unfortunately, <laughs> you don't get any level of tenderness. So no. from the point of view, organic food, there may be a, a, a larger kind of, a you know, you know, amount of for whatever volume of stuff. But at the same time, I've never experienced tenderness there of any kind. Very, no. very rarely, I have to say. Sometimes yeah. people are sweet. And this is exactly what I think that the modern businesses are about. If you want to make it successful, you have to bring them back in. You're right. And that's why I think the Trader Joe is successful. Yeah. They, they have a very good, I think, customer, you know, relationship. And so I feel uh, often when I go to a restaurant here to eat someplace, if I find that people are like rough, I don't feel like coming back, especially because that kind of is projected into the food in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do. I personally choose places where I feel I want to feel more comfortable, you know, when I'm shopping. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like a funny thought. Yeah. I was like, you know, there's there is something to be said for the fact that that is part of their business model that I I find interesting. You know, a lot of uh, mixed opinions about that. Some people avoid it at all costs because they hate that. So, (laughs) But 
But as someone that enjoys yeah. connection, I I find it very sweet and comforting. In those in a big city, big city means a lonely city, you know, especially in New York City. It's so nice to to, to find somebody who is willing to like just accord you a little respect and even if it's fake even if it's done for the sake of it's it's you know it's business policy but it's a great business policy yeah i mean they yeah. do it in banks i mean i'm sure you're aware of it mm-hmm. when you come to tell her they're like some some not all of them but you know so yeah we look kind of surely sometimes consciously sometimes unconsciously we're looking for some recognition of own selves for who we are, which also means let's just be kind with one another. This life is like, you know, it's hard enough for most people. And I think a little more of a tenderness would certainly would would add something to life, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I want to talk along the lines you had brought up, like our relationships and how we are kind of like, I like to think of it as like we're mirrors of each other. And Mm -hmm. what you were saying there before around this idea that like, you know, when we like someone, it's because we like, there's some part of our essence that we're seeing in them. But then the flip side of that, right? Like when we don't like someone, is it's because of something within us that we see in them, right? Like, and I always find that so interesting, right? Like the ability like how our own perception of ourselves is really what is causing the like enjoyment or not enjoyment of a person that is in front of us. Absolutely. That is actually a a psychological law that we, you know, they say that the beauty is in the eye of a beholder, Mm -hmm. right? So it's Mm -hmm. a famous statement, which goes for, for the other side too. So generally when, we dismiss something or somebody. It is like we have dismissed part of that in, within our, of, of our own same kind of a part within ourselves. And sometimes that can be very difficult to notice because it's so much easier to sit in another person. You know, when the people say, how can anyone do this? Well, maybe that person has done that, but you may have done something also that you you have done maybe not to the same degree. No, no, that's irrelevant. Actually, the degree of things, mm-hmm. like somebody kills somebody, of course, how could they do this? You went, you may not kill, but you may may have hurt somebody in the ways that would be abhorrent to some other people. So I think we realize that in every every person, there's a, a humanity is like a much bigger, like, you know, aspect there's bad sides good sides and all of that but also the problem is if you do concentrate if we do concentrate on something we don't like in people we are certainly not going to be able to see what good they have in them and the the unfortunate thing about this is that we lose an opportunity to learn from other people however difficult they are mm. now i do say also if people live in abusive relationships and situations do not tolerate it i mean try work through it if it's not happening is i'm happy to suggest go away and find something else but sometimes the relationships can be uh, a little challenging but there may be a good good learning in them provided that they have no abuse any of any kind of it in them so 
li liking and disliking people is not the best um, standard of judgment of others because obviously we like people who are similar to us in a way that, you know, you know, you like yoga, I like yoga, therefore I like you. But suppose you say, well, you know, you only lift weights or something and you hate yoga, I would like, I would like contract, right? So I'll mm -hmm. say, oh, oh, this is not good now. So we should be able to understand where the other person may have their own, you know, obviously attitudes about everything. But here comes an interesting component of relationships, which most people don't think about. This is outside of, you know, everybody. This is just like if you're looking for a relationship where you want to enjoy some similarity with other people, then that's obviously based on compatibility. And compatibility exists in nature too. You know, you don't usually find, you know, elephants and mice hanging around together. One is a little too small, one is too big. Nor would they fall in love with one another for sure. But it's like some compatibility has to be taken into account, which was much more of a subject that was discussed in the past and in also in, I would say, primarily Eastern countries. You know, they will have a horoscope, they will draw something, and then they will say, okay, these people have similarities. And naturally, only when you meet somebody, you would know whether you're compatible or not. We Not meet, sorry, when you actually spend some time with them, living with them. So I am a big proponent of understanding compatibility if you want to have some lasting relationships with people. Even though in this world you cannot find what does compatibility mean? That's another thing. For example, if two people are compatible, like, you know, let's say a person, one partner likes to watch movies and eat like, you know, whatever, chips or something, and the other person loves exactly the same. So they get compatible on that. So they mm -hmm. have great fun watching movies, eating chips or whatever else. Anyway, so... That is the compatibility of that type is okay, but the the thing about this, you, you don't want to be 100% compatible with somebody also no, yeah. because then there's no contrast and there's nothing that you can really learn from other person. So the learning aspect, you know, is, is going. I think obviously it varies from relationship to relationship, but you will find that Often people have a very difficult time if they're very incompatible because they have to use up a lot of energy to overcome the incompatibility. Mm -hmm. So it's like there's fighting, there's arguments, there's all kinds of things. Whereas like, you know, if there's some communion of people, at least on some level, it's easier to say, okay, well, you can be different with some or from somebody. And those differences could be assimilated rather than being the cause for people to go apart. But for that, we need the spiritual approach to relationships. Now, what this means is that the relationships should be looked at as spiritual practices. So they should not be just limited to, you know, romanticism and stuff like this. That That's okay. That comes in the beginning and it goes before you blink with your eyes. So I think that excitement that people, of course, have when they meet somebody is sometimes is of such a nature that they can, they can stay for a long time between two people. 
but it's not an emotional excitement or something. It's more like of a like two people meet and there's like a spark, and that spark is what needs to be maintained. And there mm-hmm. can be ninety years old, and there will be a spark. And there can be you can have young couples and you have all of that and no spark. Like spark is only physical or quick quickly goes and so the the compatibility is a big issue because we need to obviously examine in many areas because sometimes compatibility may be there and then people can change. Like I've seen people who, you know, take a teacher training course in yoga and mm-hmm. all of a sudden the partner cannot read them anymore, doesn't want to read them, doesn't want to accept it. Right. And then they separate or and in other cases there are I've seen also where the another partner would be actually quite enriched through his wife or husband's experience and would say, oh my God, ever since she took this yoga course, I feel like I'm learning something, you know, I'm becoming a vegetarian, something like that. You know, so there are all kinds of possibilities. So compatibility is very, very important. You know, even in astrology, we have compatibility between the planets and incompatibility, Mm -hmm. and we know what it means is, you can't just put, you know, two opposite people together to live in the house. They will kill each other. That's only in relationships. Sorry that I'm <laughs> bringing the most kind of dramatic kind of a vision of it, but it's important. And even compatibility between uh, the brothers and sisters, you know, in a family, it's, it's obvious that it can be there, it may not be there. So I believe in... Uh, certain compatibility where you can have some differences and have some similarities enough to can be enjoying, you know, spending time with people. And then at the same time, you can learn something from them. They can learn something from you. But if you take your, that relationship and any other relationship as your spiritual practice, uh, you realize that you can be so much more for each other than just, you know, partners or anything like that. There's two things that really unite people, especially couples, quite well, and that is if they share the same type of food. This is typically known in the East. Mm. So if one eats burgers and another one is eating like some kind of a vegan stuff, you might not be quite compatible. Even in the kitchen, though, they were looking at each other like with not so much of a tenderness. So <laughs> there would be a tender beef on one side and tender something else. So I believe that that's one thing where you don't need to have completely the same taste. That's not what I'm saying, but to make it comfortable enough so that people can share the same meal. Mm -hmm. And then another thing that is very helpful is if two people who are together should do some practices together, spiritual, even yoga and everything. And that way, the partners work for each other's liberations. They don't just focus on themselves. That's like a old-fashioned school. You won't find many people doing this. They say, oh, yeah, yeah, you get my wife to meditate with me. It will be difficult. Or husband or whatever the partners are. It's okay. But I think the tenderness is linked to all of their love, respect, but it's also compatibility. Sometimes you just can't do it. You can be tender with your angry father and there's nothing you can change in that person. So you are tender not because you want to change somebody. You're tender because you want you want that to be your kind of a main way of dealing with people and things. 
you know we don't do we not we're not tender for other people we're not you know we want to kind of embody that quality yeah yeah absolutely yeah as you were saying that i was like man it's i feel like it is so challenging trying to understand like how similar is the right amount of similar and how dissimilar is the right amount of dissimilar when you're trying to like find your partner. And I, I feel like that is, even as you were talking about, I was like, it still feels so difficult because there is no perfect amount, right? It's not like you can be compatible in these ways and that is good. And then you don't want to be compatible in these other ways. And that is good. Like there is no prescription. No, I mean, you could look at it in this way. If you are able to, and this is what in American native tradition they used to do, they used to organize some kind of parties where people could meet, you know, and the young people would meet or whatever, and they would eventually, if they liked each other, they would go and first live with one another. So there was no, mm. there was no a commitment to loving one another because they, just like most of these traditions, they say love is not what you enter into relationship with. You enter it with some, you know, okay, a couple of illusions here and there, but you also come with a kind of romantic kind of idea, excitement or anything. But that is not love. Love is something that you put on a, on a stove and you cook for like, you know, several years or something. Then we see if that's manifest. In which case, it's hard to define love like that. But what happens is that they, they see, that they try to live together to see whether they would they will be able to maintain the respect for one another even after a certain amount of time they've been together. And if that's not there, then we'll go apart. And if it's there, they may stay together. So I think that's kind of a key thing. If you're looking at the person you're with and you say, okay, well, this person, yeah, she or he is different from me, but yet this is, that's also something unique about them. I mean, what will be fun if they did exactly what I'm doing. Like, I would not like to have anybody like this. You know, they sit the same way, that they, they eat the same food. Like, just leave me alone. I think that would be too, it's already stressful to bear one person. Imagine to have like your, your kind of a clone kind of a thing. Uh -huh. So I think that the percentage wise is only relative, of course. But let's say if you're, if you're 20% compatible, and 80% incompatible, you're going to have wars going on. There will mm -hmm. be flying saucepans literally in the kitchen and everywhere. So you want to go towards maybe 60, 70% of compatibility. How are you going to ever measure it? Don't ask me. But, you know, <laughs> the rest of all would be maybe some incompatibility, which would be a very good training ground for both of you to, you know. Right, go. right. It gives you the level of foundation that you... Well, it, you know, it makes me think of like same attract same, yeah, right? Yeah. So you want that kind of baseline amount of sameness that you can build upon, but that additional 30, 40% is the challenge place that allows you to grow as a person. Right on the spot. Yes, exactly like that. You're just completed this, this thoughts of mine. I really think that's the way to grow, I think. And we also have to think of the compatibility maybe present in other relationships, you know, like mm -hmm. friends and, 
you know, even your work area and everything. And obviously we cannot choose that, but we tend to gravitate even in work area towards this guy because he's kind of shares some same thoughts as I do. And the guy is like, forget it. Like, you know, we can have this kind of opinions. But another beautiful thing about this is that I really feel like you need to think that the relationships are never going to be perfect. And then just relax. Because if mm. you think, okay, I got to raise this to 80%, 90%, it's going to be... There are no perfect relationships because the karmas are fallible. You know, we're trying to maintain them and it's not always easy. But I have to say something, that a lot of these relationships, whether they're good or bad, they have the seeds or roots in past lifetimes. Mm-hmm. For example, Buddha used to say that his wife and him had been in many incarnations together. So there was an utmost tenderness in between them. And that's after what they worked through probably in the previous lifetimes, maybe from suspense to less suspense, like flying. So I like this, to no suspense and <laughs> going somewhere. <laughs> so like this, step by step. So if you find your relationships, uh, whether it's friends or whether it's you know partners, are actually not easy. It's because you have not really created the firm foundation in your previous lifetimes. You know, sometimes people have that kind of a love at first sight or they have friendship at first sight. It's not, nothing is like... Uh, there's no effort put in because they met before they worked through it. This mm-hmm. is how also friendships come. And uh, when it comes to friendships, I I think that's kind of an easiest way to practice tenderness mm-hmm. because you you really love the friend and you don't have any expectations from them after all. So it's like you know you just you can just be your best tender thing ever. So I like that also. Yeah. Absolutely. I was thinking about what you were saying there around like, because on the flip side of that is this is the conflicts that we enter into, right? Mm-hmm. And so whatever percentage, and I, I think about like, why am I being challenged in this way by this person, you know? And there's, to me, it's like, we need to be around to some, you know, I hope it's not all the time, but to some degree being challenged by the people that are in our lives as well because we are meant to grow through those conflicts. So can you speak a little bit to like to that idea? Mm, sure. I think uh, there's no life without conflicts. There are no relationships without conflicts. But I think uh, conflict is the best way to kind of chisel that kind of a sense of self-importance and to try to grow into a, a bigger you than you are. I think a lot of people have fears about that certain aspects of their nature or their life being, you know, shaken up and challenged. And, you know, there may be some kind of uh, areas within us which are not serving us anymore and we are not able to access them. So then the person who is reflecting something of that within the relationship may be of great help, but we need to put down ego down and we need to say, okay, well, I have to learn something here. That is the be- most beautiful thing about relationships. Because even with friends, you see, you can feel comfortable. And that's wonderful. But then there is a limit to it too. Where sometimes, you know, the so-called enemies or even the difficult partners and friends can be actually your true 
friends because first of all they're merciless when they try to show you that something is not right about you they will come again and again and again and you're like think mm-hmm. oh my god i can't take this anymore so i think conflicts are important however they need to be handled very well and both sides are responsible for it so they need to be rule of engagement set up you know if you're mm-hmm. living somebody and somebody's attacking you, okay, then you say, listen, can we just talk about this rather than you attacking me? Because talking is different from attacking. So then you set the rules of engagement. And what I like the most is that I've learned actually from some Buddhist practice, it's called active listening. Mm-hmm. And you know, most people know that. And I just love that where you accord five minutes to this person five minutes to me, and then some little rules of engagement, like to let them speak whatever they want to say, and you don't interrupt them. And then you speak for five minutes, you ask them not to interrupt you. And then some other sub rules are there. And I think that's the best way to talk in any conflict. You know, first, the sides need to be heard. And even though there may be exaggerations in the interpretation of what they saw or heard or whatever, you allow them to actually own those uh, exaggerations and maybe taper them down as the conversation goes on. And the most important thing about this uh, approach is to not necessarily look for a solution in a single discussion because you may need more discussions. It may not even get solved, but that's just a way to kind of keep really the energy balanced. And I think this is not taught anywhere, unfortunately. If I was instituting a new marriage ceremony, I would make sure that the partners go through this training. Not marriage, but just partnership, you know, if you want to like live with somebody. Mm. How do you resolve differences after all? Mm-hmm. And which leads to conflict, you know, differences are the foundation of perceptions that, of, you know, each person that may be, they may end up being more violent or aggressive than they should be. Again, this is just a pure training. And I think that training is missing even in spiritual organizations. But tell you, sometimes, you know, if you want to say something to the main person, you can be soft, you can say whatever you want, but you will not be listened to exactly in the same way. Or you will be listened to, but there will be very likely, it depends who it is, I'm not saying anyone specifically here, but you could have a situation where a person just doesn't do much about what bothers you, you know. Especially if something is of your making or your own problem. So I feel like that could be a part two to tenderness, you know? Mm. What does it mean really to accord listening to another person? You can't accord listening to another person if you're not going to give them respect. If you're just going to sit there and, and wait until they finish to another to come back with another round of the same facts or things that you think you're mm-hmm. providing as facts. You, that's what people do. They listen, kind of, and then they come back with the same story where there is something quite true in some some beautiful thinking manifest in that silence of those five minutes and everything. I'm a big believer in that, but I have to say, uh, 
it's very hard to convince the other person to do that. That was exactly my thought, right? Is like, as much as we ourselves can take responsibility to show up and actively listen and be there Mm. in that space with the other person, how do we manage through the fact that if, if the other person on the other side of that equation is not receptive, is not open, is not willing to hear us? That is a very good question and very challenging practice. So the only answer here is that you insist on inputting according to respect, you know, giving the same kind of a ear to their problems and everything as if they were in agreement and not Mm -hmm. raising voice, not using sarcastic remarks. Just saying, you know, like in typical thing, you know, active listening, you will say, is this what you said? So you would ask them, is this how you saw me? And they will, then believe it or not, if, the, if there's any kind of a juice between the people still left, like some spark, you know, then I think that gradually the other person will start to kind of at least ease up because you're not criticizing them. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not teaching them they have to speak in a certain way, but you just say, okay, that's it. This is what I feel. And obviously, if the relationship is not going to work, and I mean, each person has to give up some of the, you know, s- sense of, oh, I am important and what does she know? And what, like people being are like, right. That. Yeah. Mm. You give, give up to being right. Yes. Mm. Which kind of, leads us to giving up for having to even have a solution for this situation for this particular moment. Maybe if something continues, of course, people have to make a decision whether they stay or go apart. But I feel like this was this is a very good practice. For myself, I love it. And I, most of the time I try to practice. Sometimes, you know, the old habits come, the irritability comes, and you just say, oh, come on. It's like I'm not going to even try that. Because it may look to you almost an artificial way. Maybe you feel like you're suppressing something in yourself when you're just trying to be not nice, but to be respectful, right? It's very difficult to be respectful. Mm. Because, well, see, the one principle of practices is that you should not wait until there's a big challenge. Any form of spiritual practice, whether you're working within fearlessness, or kindness or anything, you practice it in the atmosphere where it's not too charged, not too difficult like that. So let's say between two partners, it would be better if they practice this when there's there's no charge between them, Mm. you know? So just like they cook together, they talk together, they practice that, you know? And I think may sound like a dream world, but I think we need to move in that direction because the world, the way it is, it's really actually built on the other side. I'm right and you're wrong and then boom, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's so powerful that idea of like how can you still show tenderness to someone even if you're not receiving it on the other side. Right? Or and maybe maybe it can't quite get to the word tenderness, but maybe it's how do you show respect as you said? towards the other person, even regardless of what you're receiving, right? And and how can you show up in that way 
And that is a practice. Like that is extremely challenging mm. when you're not getting it in return. But maybe by still being able to show up that way, it uh, it does like kind of chisel away at their ability to to come towards you with the animosity that they had before, right? Mm. Because you're not feeding it back to them, let's say. Very true. Yeah. It's, sometimes it's hard because the little hurts in us or big hurts in us, they're ready to spring back up. You know, it's, we all mm -hmm. have like a, these uh, push buttons, you know, they're waiting. And, the, and usually when you live with somebody like this who actually has learned how to hurt you, what hurts you the most, they can use it in a nasty way. That's like a really yeah. a great irresponsibility, unfortunately. Mm. You know, you would not normally do this with people outside. So, you know, people do all kinds of things. But I think the training is the key word. And perhaps one should meditate on the value of tenderness. Like, you know, you sit down, you say, okay, why should we be tender? Maybe you, you don't need to agree with everything that's being said here, but you may want to think for yourself. And then Swami Shivananda would say, meditate on the benefits of being tender. For one, your health will benefit, you know. Your level of stress will decrease. Even when you're around somebody who is very aggressive, if you're able to keep soft, it's like it's easier, right, than to try to prepare for a war all the time. Then it drains your adrenals and everything. Mm -hmm. and, and I think we already have a lot of adrenals running in our lives simply because of the way we live, mm. you know. Absolutely. So the stresses and tenderness and stress. So sometimes we cannot quite slow down. We would like to. But I think if we start to create this habit of slowing down whenever we can, it might be a good way to move into tenderness. I love that. One last thing that I want to talk about. This actually was something I wrote down just from your first bit about tenderness was the idea of loneliness. And because as you were talking about that and like the ability to show tenderness to ourselves, I was thinking of the flip side of that, which is when we feel loneliness. And I was curious what your thoughts are around like what causes people to feel loneliness and how to kind of overcome that. I see it as, as the reverse of everything we've been talking about, right? It's almost like a lack of connection, the lack of, of connecting with ourselves and others and whatever is greater, right? The creator and all those kind of things. So can you speak a little bit about your thoughts around that? Okay. Loneliness is another um, an, another big subject because there may be many, many factors or supporting factors behind it. But you're right. The loneliness comes from lack of connection. I would say since we cannot have a 100% connection with people around us, or we may not have enough time to spend with them. We can actually think about loneliness as being something that is very much contributed by a modern way of living. You know, as somebody wrote an interesting book, like it's called Alone Together. That was like the in reference to technology that we have. You know, so you have these little likes coming up on your Facebook or Instagram or whatever. And each time you have like a little dopamine kind of being released in your brain, you think, oh, wow, this is so cool. You know, somebody loves me or cares for what I do. But that's an illusory kind of thing. And it, so the technology in itself operates in isolation. 
you know. So unfortunately, that is uh, a con- big contributory contributory factor. The the actual loneliness experienced even in the spiritual path, there are moments sometimes when you feel like, oh my God, I'm just doing everything by myself and I'm tired and all that. And a lot of pe- people feel that. So the best way to overcome any experience of loneliness is for one, is to physically see others, you know? Mm-hmm. I think to, to be in somebody's company, you share some energy. Whereas, you know, if you do it on Zoom and this and that, it's like a sense of connection, but it's not a true connection. It is true to some degree because we're still psychically connected. But I would say that for one, you want real life. And this is why communities that are still not sophisticated operate much better. I mean, people can still feel lonely, but it's different when you have your brothers, sisters, and everybody's around, and it helps. You can be in a busy city like here in New York City. It can be very lonely. Mm-hmm. I Sometimes I feel that way. But I think the important thing about loneliness is that you have to transcend the idea of where this, what causes this loneliness in terms of not having a partner, not having enough friends and all this, and then to connect to the true aspect, which is, you may say God, so you can say whatever you want to call it, that should be where the true connection is. In fact, there is not even a matter of, it's not even a matter of connection, it's a matter of the existence of unity, but you have to work towards recognizing that. So, of course, practically speaking, there are many ways one can do to try to feel less lonely. And as I said, you know, maybe offer some service someplace, you know, cook for homeless people. Think about how homeless people feel. Do they feel, I mean, most people would say that they're, you know, either drunk or out of their mind or something. But there are a lot of homeless people really genuinely okay, like mentally, but they're Mm -hmm. homeless. And there's a story of this, um, I've forgotten his name, but anyway, there's a lovely story there where a man who was a Buddhist teacher and his wife, they, they were kind of organizing the retreats so that you can spend a week as a, long, as a homeless person. Mm. They will make sure it's a set up in a safe environment, but you will sit on the street sometimes. And that was a part of our jobs. So the deal that you would, let's say, a lawyer comes, right, and he or she has to spend one week just not having much food, depending on a few things. They will watch them, so make sure they're not totally stressed. But the interesting thing is this guy who is a lawyer, he said, you know, he was kind of a good-looking guy, and he said, my God, that was amazing. Like after a few days, you know, he didn't shave and looked kind of really rough and it was stinking a little bit and all of that. And he said, the one thing that really bothered me because he has to dress also like a homeless mm-hmm. guy, is that he says, nobody looked at me. Mm. So that was one thing he says, it hurt me so badly. Maybe not so much not having to eat on time and all that because he knew there was an end to all of that. But he said that hurts him a lot. So then there was a woman who was really homeless and this wife of this gentleman, this teacher, she goes to her and gives her a dollar and then she asks her for a name. All of a sudden that woman or girl burst into tears 
and uncontrollably for a few minutes. And she was just asking, what's happening? What's happening? Why are you crying? Did I, did I hurt you? Did I say something? She said, no, it says nobody in all the years I've been homeless has anyone asked me for my name. Mm-hmm. Like, is that so bad? So you see, again, loneliness is, you know, in this extreme cases like that, but just really recognizing the presence of other people is a big step to first uh, even loving others. And the other thing is, of course, even overcoming loneliness. Loneliness is a very tricky thing because sometimes it can be also connected with depression and or like loss of motivation. So then they have to find somebody like yourself to do this lovely little, you know, how they say, to have an appointment and to be guided step by step because that's really what it is. You don't want your heart to be closed when you're feeling lonely. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are lots of lonely people, especially old people. Old people are mainly lonely. They, yeah. They can't leave the house. Sometimes they're sickish, you know, whatever. And they're waiting for the youngster to come and see them. Nobody has time for them. Think about modern times. So when you visit hospitals, these are all good meditations for us. We meditate on how it's to be an old person, how it's to be in a hospital. We just lost a friend recently, you know, Mm -hmm. she was 15 months on on a ventilator. I mean, this is like, talk about loneliness. Ours is nothing, right? Mm -hmm. So imagine somebody who is in that bed for that long, cannot move, and then they have to process everything in their hearts and God knows how they do it in their minds and uh, the long nights, all these things. So that's kind of what I say. Do contemplate that. It's interesting how animals generally don't feel they're lonely. They mm. have a way of it is built to be on the, by this by themselves. So we can learn something from the four-legged beings. That is an interesting point. Like some animals are so solitary, and mm, they're quite content. Yeah, and they're that's just like their nature, but. I feel like as humans, like we thrive on connection. We do. We right. Do. And, you know, not to say that because I like the idea of like, it's not, there's also the benefit of like being alone with yourself is like the flip side of that is solitude, right? The enjoyment of doing things by yourself, of being able to reflect and connect mm-hmm. deeper to yourself. But there, yeah, there is this element of like, how do you, hold to solitude and, and, you know, not drift into loneliness. Yes. And I think the active practice of solitude within a retreat, you know, spiritual retreat is a very good practice Mm. for that because we are kind of surrounded by things, by sounds, by, you know, video clips, by, you know, everything, but we're still lonely. So that obviously means that that's not what will fulfill what will remove loneliness. But I feel, you know, you have to do a combination of things. And one is get the friends, call them, torture them to see them if necessary this week, not in six months time. And then do things together, go to concerts, go to meditation, yoga class is a wonderful way of of bonding. Even in yoga class, you're not chatting with the person next to you, only maybe you're doing some fancy variations. But generally we 
we're just happy to share the same space and we feel kind of supported in that space. So I believe that that spiritual centers and ashrams are built for that reason to help also people. Yeah, yeah. I think community is just of the utmost importance. Mm. And yeah, especially in this kind of like fast-paced world that we live in it's like how can we slow down and and really spend time with each other right and like put the phone down be present in the spaces when we are together and the importance of being able to do that and and listen and share that that time yeah so true and it just came to a couple of images come to my mind one is on the, like on a subway like everybody has their own phone Mm-hmm. Right, so nobody wants to even look to the left or right. They will never remember who was on the side unless it looked kind of weird. And you know, then you have also partners going. You know, two people go to for a meal and they're both on the phone. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a loneliness that is not categorized as loneliness, but it can be had even within the relationships. Absolutely, especially if you feel like you're not understood. You're just, you know, like. So many little things like that. So loneliness doesn't mean you're just alone. It's a it's a kind of a thing that the person can be alone and it can be a great communion with the divine. That's not loneliness. So that person obviously has trained himself or herself to get to the stage. But it's also another point to look at. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think that's incredibly true. You can be in a crowded room and feel incredibly alone it's like there's a certain level of effort that we need to put in to being present and to being able to like create that connection point that it's easy to, to not have that happen. You know, it's easy to be lost in our phones. It's easy to have these disconnection points. And so on the other side, it's like, how can we make sure that when we are there with other people that we are really seeing who's in front of us and being there with them. Very true. And plus, you know, you have to kind of not worry about how other people see you, like when you're with Mm. others, because that's kind of what often prevents us from coming and connecting with somebody. But what Titnatan said very beautifully, you know, this is another point that we see in our society. We all have this, heard of this sex trafficking and things like this going on. Uh, obviously all addictions have to do with some form of loneliness and uh, we see how this is what he says is that the people feel like they could overcome loneliness by just you know engaging in this kind of you know activities that are really illegal or they're just like you know wrong in many ways Mm -hmm. but that's just how people do you know, that's like a really a bane of modern living where people we actually feel so desperate for some attention or something that they will pay for it, you know. And then other form of desperation makes these people go this far to become who they become. I'm not going to name anything, but you understand this. Yeah. So even that that whole realm which you find in pornography, you find it on the... It's all due to separation, loneliness, and everything. I think you bring up a good point in that sometimes it's the fear of who we are and someone thinking that we'll be rejected for who we are, Mm. right? So it's harder to put yourself out there as the real true person that you are 
because you assume that people won't like that or they will reject you and, and like, you can't face that. Right. And so I feel like that is what breeds these kind of things that occur because it's like our ability to really put ourselves out there and, and, and accept ourselves or who we are can be really challenging. Well, the thing is when you're worried about that other people will not accept you how who you are is because they won't accept you how you see yourself. Right. So you're really worried about would they really see me the way that I see myself? And then like, no, <laughs> they will. Like, you know, so that's kind of. It's self-rejection. Totally, yeah. Yeah. You know this when you start like teaching yoga as a, like the first time you go and you think, oh my God, you know, they probably see my insecurity, my this, mm-hmm. whatever it is, first time or second time, it doesn't matter. But that's not how people see you. I have been in a situation where I thought to my God, how could anyone possibly like this, what I just said or what I did, like, you know, yoga class or whatever. And they say, oh, I really enjoyed your class. I enjoyed your talk. And I said, really? And you see how much of that projection mm-hmm. is actually, it's simply exaggerated on our part. Yeah. Maybe there's something that we know about ourselves, okay, it's fine, that we don't want other people to know, but at the same time, it's so exaggerated. And then we, we can live in hell like this, uh, you know, missing so many opportunities to meet people and connect. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's such an important thought because it's it's true. It's our ability to... It's going back to our full thing, like our ability to have tenderness towards ourselves will enable us to then be able to put ourselves out there as as who we really are. Nice to said. Yes, exactly. Yeah. All comes back around. All right. Well, we have been talking for such a long time and I feel like, you know, it is endless the amount that I can talk to you. <laughs> Thank you so much. So I will say thank you to anyone who has gotten to the end of this episode. I so appreciate you enjoying my conversations with Prem. It is such an honor and privilege every time to have these deep conversations with you and, you know, talk about the ability to have tender and loving connection. I feel like that's what these conversations get to be. And, and I, I so appreciate it. So I hope anyone who is out there is enjoying listening to this as well. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jessica, for inviting me again. It's a complete joy and a perfect subject for today. Really. It will encourage me more to grow into it. I love this topic because it gave, yeah, I think it gives us so much food for thought and the way that we show up in our own lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So honestly, sometimes I think that's the reason why I do this is that it allows me to learn so much, you know, in every episode, it's like I get to, to learn from every single episode and it is, it is the most beautiful journey. So thank you for being a part of that for me. You're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for everyone listening and We'll see you in the next one. I'm sure there will be a part three at some point. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of A Way of Thinking. I hope it has been a source of inspiration and guidance as you continue to navigate your path towards greater inner peace and purpose. If you enjoyed this episode, 
please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Your feedback helps us reach more seekers like you. And for those of you who are ready to take a deeper dive into your journey, I invite you to book a discovery session with me, your host, Jessica Huang. It's an opportunity for us to explore how you can bring greater meaning and purpose into your career and life. Simply visit jessicahuangcoaching.com and schedule your session today. Remember, the power to create the life you desire resides within you, and I'm here to support you every step of the way. Until next time, embrace the journey, cultivate your inner peace, and never stop seeking your true purpose.